Acts chapter 20 begins with. Verse 17 is where we pick up from Miletus. He, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. We've been following through the book of Acts, discovering the Holy Spirit. Paul has been traveling on his third missionary journey. Paul making his way back to Jerusalem so he can be there for Pentecost. But he stops at Miletus. He says, I'm going to go past Ephesus because he doesn't want to get bogged down there. He doesn't want to get, you know, there had been a riot there. He'd been there three years and maybe he's afraid that he's going to get kind of held up there. So he doesn't go to Ephesus. That's kind of how it is for me when I go to Food Lion. Helga knows you don't send me to Food Lion because I see everybody I know there. And three hours later, I show up at home having gone just to get milk or bread or something. And so sometimes, you know, you go to a place and it can be challenging that way. So Paul doesn't want to get hung up there. So he goes to Miletus and then he invites the elders of Ephesus to come down to Miletus. It's about a 30 mile trip. And there he shares with them what you might call the first local pastor's conference. And what we have in Acts chapter 20 is really Paul's kind of final message to these elders, to church leaders. And he's got them in a group. We don't know how many of them there are. Are there five? Are there 20? We don't know for sure how big is the church in Ephesus. We don't know those things. But we do know that however many they are, he gathers the leadership. And Paul says, I want to speak to the leadership of this primary church in modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor, the church at Ephesus. The first letter in Revelation that Jesus speaks is to the church at Ephesus. Many years later, that is recorded in the the book of Revelation. So he calls the leadership together. And the question is, if you had a chance to address the local pastors from Fluvanna County, what would you say? You had one shot, it's a one-shot deal. You got all the pastors in Fluvanna County together in one spot, all the church leaders. And instead of being invited to participate, you're invited to be the key speaker at this little local pastor's conference. And you've got 10 minutes. What do you say? Now, I've been to a lot of pastor's conferences, and one of my favorite times in the year is when about a 1,000 Calvary Chapel pastors from the East Coast and some other areas get together up in Maryland for a pastor's conference. And it's an awesome time. I've been to local pastor's conference, Calvary Chapel pastor's conferences, and you find some things across the board. Pastors wrestle with discouragement. Pastors wrestle with feeling like failures, wrestle with feeling inadequate. They've got conflicts, oftentimes at home, conflicts in the church. They compare themselves to other pastors whose churches are growing and they feel like theirs is not growing. And so pastor's conferences for me are always help me to refocus on what's important. Like sometimes you get distracted, you know, just in your own life. You're thinking about the wrong thing. You're distracted, concerned with the wrong things. And then you come to this little conference or you go to this retreat and all of a sudden someone speaks and everything is refocused. And you needed that. And that's what Paul does for these guys. He wants to get them refocused. He's not going to have another chance to talk to them. There's going to be some troubles ahead. I wish I could outline his sermon for you. It's very short. But you can't really outline it. He gives a personal example. He reminds them of what he did. He tells them what he's doing next. And then he gives them some warnings. And he comes back to personal example again. And I found this just as a pastor really compelling because here we have the word from the Apostle Paul to church leadership. 
And it's his final word. So, you know, when someone has a lot of time, they don't have to be so choosy. But if you've got one shot, one chance, you've got to weed through all of the junk and just bare bones, what's the most important thing? And so that's what we get in Acts chapter 20. The interesting thing to me, you'll discover it as we go through together, there's not a discussion about how many people are in the church. I would think that the Apostle Paul, the great missionary, would work with the leadership on strategizing plan to reach the world. Wouldn't you think so? And that's what I would think, that Paul's going to sit down and they're going to lay out the map and say, okay, where are you guys going? Let's get out there. Let's, how are we going to do this? How are we going to accomplish this? We're going to lay out the strategy for it. Because that's oftentimes what we see at pastors' meetings. Now here's the strategy for church growth or what's your budget and what's our budget and how many people are coming and how many did you baptize and comparing numbers. And he doesn't talk to them about how to write a sermon. He doesn't talk to them about how to create a worship experience. Not that any of those things are inherently wrong, but again, what I appreciate is boiling this down to here's what was on the Apostle Paul's heart in his very emotional speech and departure from these guys he spent three years serving alongside in Ephesus, and now he's got to say goodbye. To me, it's like, okay, Steve, pay attention. So from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, called for the elders, the church leadership of the church. And when they had come to him, the conference is beginning. He said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. So he starts out right off the bat. He says, you guys know this. You know this. Now, the English language, we say no. But in Greek, there's three different words that mean to know, different kinds of knowing. This word is a word that means more than just to know something like I learned it in school. It's a fact. This is the word that means I understand. I studied biochemistry and organic chemistry. I can't say I understood it. I learned what I had to do to get the answer right on the test, but I can't say I comprehended it. Well, this is the word that means to comprehend, to understand, pass the facts. So he says, you guys, you, not just that you know what I did when I was here, but you understand why I did it. You understand the kind of life that I lived when I came to Asia. Notice from the first day, from day one when I showed up, Paul didn't come in with one way of living, and then all of a sudden in the middle kind of switch his, his mode of operation and become something else. He was consistent in his character. That's what Christianity produces, produces consistency of character because it's Christ's life in me. And that's all Paul is doing. He's living Christ's life out through him. So from the day one till this day, he says, I've lived consistently. He says, in what manner I've always lived. And one more important word to notice, the word among, among. If you're going to be a shepherd, if you're going to be involved in ministry, that doesn't take place apart from the sheep. It takes place among the sheep. The leadership is meant to live out their life in and among. We're sheep too. And we're just in and around and among the flock. That's how people learn. I remember getting saved in 1994 or something like that when I got saved. And Helga and I, we just were walking with the Lord. We go, I don't even know what it looks like to be a Christian. Because see, Paul is telling them as pastors, they haven't been saved for 20, 30 years. They don't have a Bible. They have the Old Testament accessible to them possibly, but these guys, they don't have video. They don't have YouTube. They don't have podcasting. But what they have is Paul set an example for them. 
And he says, you know how I lived among you. And as a new Christian, when I got saved, I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I didn't know how it looked. Remember, when you're born again, that's a fresh start, right? To be born, you go, wow, I'm a newborn baby. I got to learn how to sit up. I got to learn how to eat. I got to learn how to feed myself. Nutrients must get into the mouth. And then sometimes things other than nutrients get into the mouth too, right? It's a learning process. What's good to eat? What's not good to eat? Crawling, walking, right? So there's a process. I don't know if you went through it. Maybe it was just me. But when I got saved, I didn't have a clue what it meant to be a Christian. I knew Christ had convicted me of my sins. I repented, said, I want to live for Christ. Now I got to figure out what that means. And so Helga and I, I remember this. We called up our pastor at the time. And we said, would you come to our house? Because we need to talk to you. And so he came over to the house and we grilled this poor guy for like an hour about what, look around our house. What do you see that doesn't belong to a Christian? What do you see that shouldn't be part of a Christian's life? You know, we just open up our lives and said, what do you see? And then we would just kind of watch him and we're trying to learn what it means to be a Christian. And then try to learn to be a pastor. Oh my goodness, forget that. That's the challenge. So I'm thankful for the guys in my life that have led by example. Moms and dads, your kids maybe learn what they know about Christ from watching you. So much damage can be done in the home by mom and dad saying one thing and actually living another. And that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Mom and dad say amen to that. We are going to be perfect. Kids in here, you know, your parents aren't perfect. Neither are we and neither are you. But there's a way to confess your sin as a Christian. There's a way to say, I'm sorry as a Christian. There's a way to say, forgive me to your kids as a Christian and kids to parents. So to have those examples in their lives, Paul says, I was, a, I was mentoring you. I was living this out among you so you could see it lived out. People need to not just hear about Christ. They need to see him lived out in your life. So Paul, what manner did you live among them? What is it that you're going to point out about your example? Serving the Lord with all humility. That was Paul's goal. His goal wasn't to strategize or this or that. He says, you know what you saw among me is I was a slave to Jesus, to the master, with all humility and humbleness. You know, the big thing in church circles nowadays, again, as I run in these circles, and I feel for a lot of pastors because they've been sold the paradigm that their job is to grow the church. And I've been through this Bible, Genesis to Revelation. I haven't found one thing that tells pastors to grow the church. I see Jesus say on this rock, I will build my church. So I figured that's safe with him, right? I figure he can build the church. What pastors are called to do is feed the flock and tend the flock. And so serving the Lord with all humility, you realize I can't grow the church. I can't give birth to Christians. Only Jesus can. And God has a church growth plan. It's called faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I think that still works. I'm silly enough to believe that Jesus can do it without me. But he allows me to be part of it, allows me to preach the word and to watch people respond to the word and get saved. And it's worked for 2,000 years. So he says, I'm serving the Lord with all humility. That humility is read by that understanding that I'm just a worker. You're just a worker. I can plant and you can water that seed, but only who? Only God can bring the increase. Only God can make it grow. So that brings humility. I mean, I, I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. And how many of you understand that's an important thing to know in your life? 
You got to know what you can do and you got to know what you can't do. So Paul said, I'd serve the Lord with all humility. If he said to do it, that's what I did. But this wasn't for Paul. Being a pastor for him, a church planter, wasn't a job. It was much more than that. He says, I did this with many tears. With many tears. Paul's an emotional guy. You could say he penned his letters to the Ephesians or to the Thessalonians, and the pages were probably stained with tears as he worried about them, as he cared about them, as they were subject to false teaching and wolves that would come into the flock and the Jews that were causing problems for them. And that's what he says, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of the danger of the truth that he was sharing, he said, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. And then we get a little insight into the early church, right? Paul says, remember he was teaching in the school of Tyrannus publicly. People would come and he, he would hold this public open teaching session, much like this. But then there were other times where he would get invited over to somebody's house or there would be a, someone that would open their house and have a Bible study there and he would go there and teach there. And so I would say, and this is just maybe allow me to stretch this a little bit. I would say that if Paul placed such a heavy emphasis on teaching, and that's what he says to them, you've seen me, I've served the Lord, tears and trials, it's difficult, I didn't hold back anything, I proclaimed it to you and I taught you. That's what he said. This is like the emphasis of his message to these leaders. I taught you guys, both publicly and house to house. And I would say if he put such an emphasis on teaching, wouldn't that go hand in hand with the fact that there was an emphasis on people learning? And that seems like a pretty simple jump, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's something we should stop and say, there's a need to learn. As I said, I had to learn as a new Christian. I had to learn what it looked like to be a Christian. There were things, you see, I had been, the world from the time I was born had twisted me. Maybe you've been walking through the woods on a trail and you see that tree that has fallen down, it's laying there and the bark has come off of it and you see what it looks like? It's got twisted. Have you seen that? It got twisted. So my life, from the time I was born, the world had exercised its influences and its stresses on me and had twisted me and there were things that, I thought we're okay and right. And then I got into God's word. I go, whoa, wait a second. Where is it? I didn't know that was in there. That convicts me. So God begins to take what's been twisted. He starts to straighten it out. Does that through his word? Does that by his spirit? And that's why teaching and learning are so important. And you guys have teaching at your fingertips, podcasts and YouTube videos and church meetings and Bible studies galore. There's no excuse other than laziness or ignorance or resistance. Because it's all there for your growth. Peter begged the church to desire the pure milk of God's word so that you could grow. And I love that passage. And so Paul says, look, I have taught you and testified to you. What's the subject of his teaching? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. When it comes to God, I had to change my mind from no God to God. I had to move from unbelief to belief. Whatever your sin is, whatever issue, whatever your lifestyle, the gospels boil down to a simple thing. All that stuff, well, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict or I struggle with anger 
or I'm a religious person, whatever it is, whatever issue it is, it's all summed up in that one thing, repentance toward God, moving from unbelief to belief in God. And then moving from disobedience to obedience or lack of trust to trust in Jesus. See, when I did not have God, I had to trust other things in the world. Many people trust themselves. Boy, we've seen how that goes, haven't we, church? Anything that involves humans is subject to tremendous amount of errors and abuses. And that's why we need Jesus to be the head of the church. Even still, we struggle. But uh, repentance toward God and faith, belief, confidence, trust. And that goes hand in hand with obedience. You can say, I trust the Lord, but then do what you want. And that means you really don't trust him. To trust someone is to actually do what they ask you to do. And then we got a lot of trust issues in our lives these days. When Jesus says it, you go, I'm not sure if I can believe him. I mean, Jesus says to do this, but I'm not sure if I can trust him. But that's part of being a Christian. That's part of being saved. That's part of what Paul was teaching them in Bible study. Repentance toward God, changing of a mind that changes a life, that changes direction, and faith toward our Lord Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to trust Jesus. And that's a big step, isn't it, folks? I'm so used to trusting in me, or I'm so used to trusting in this system, or that system, or scheming, or plotting, or planning. And you lay all that down when you become a Christian, and you say, Jesus, I'm going to do this your way. That's what Paul taught him. And now he moves on from this initial example that he sets. He says, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. It was as if the spirit of God had him chained and was leading him to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there. There's big question marks in this future. Except he knew, verse 23 says, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life would be hard for the Apostle Paul to teach. It's true in a sense, but it's easily manipulated. It's easily misunderstood. Paul says, God loves me, and he has a wonderful plan for my life. His plan for my life is to spread the good news of the grace of God, but it's going to involve me suffering quite a bit and maybe being killed. That's what he says. This is what the Spirit is telling me, that I'm going to go through some difficult things. These are the things that await me. Now, that would be a showstopper for most of us, right? I mean, I won't claim to be there yet. I'm not, you know, packing up my house and moving to Iraq to go share the gospel with ISIS. I mean, it's just, I'm, I, mean, I can't say I'm there yet. I would love to be there. I'd love to, you know, just let you a little secret insight into my life. One of the things I pray and think about a lot is that the Lord would just break the hold that this world has on my heart. I don't want to be afraid of dying I want to be able to embrace those things in my life with absolute trust and faith. And it's a work that God is doing and I I ask him to do in my life. I want to not fear. I want to not fear those things. And we all, we sing the songs and we put on that front, right? Like we're love the Lord, we'll die for him. But then, you know, some stupid thing happens and we're cutting and running from Jesus, you know, because some little thing happened. I'm like, you can't run with a footman. How are you going to keep up with the horses? Right, you can't serve Jesus in the little thing. But Paul says, this is how he says this thing. Look what he says next. But none of these things move me. The fact that he's got tribulations and trials and difficulties coming, he says, I am unmoved by that. See, the reason he's unmoved by that is because he's more moved by the job God gave him to accomplish in this world. 
That's what moved him, literally moved him all around Asia, all through Europe, back to Jerusalem, moved him everywhere. But he says, because of that, because that moves me, fears about my life, threats. I mean, the guy's been stoned to death, gets up and goes back to the city, right? He's been in prison. God busted him out. I think if I had those experiences, maybe I'd say, yeah, none of these things move me. I'm not dying until God's done with me. Doesn't matter what else comes. And he says, none of these things move me. And here's why, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Even Jesus said, if you love your life in this world, you'll lose it. And a lot of people say, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. I don't know what to do. I'm full of anxiety. I'm full of fear. I feel like I'm losing it. You ever said that? I feel like I'm losing it. Well, maybe you are. <laughs> maybe that's because you're trying to hold it. Maybe if you would give it to Jesus and serve him, you'd find it. See, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to have that perspective. Maybe I love my life too much. I would be the first to confess it's probably true. And you'd probably be second and third and fourth, right? Be right behind me. We got it good in America. But Paul said, hey, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, look, if I've got to stick around here with you guys for a little while longer, I'll do it. But my real preference, my real heart is I'd rather check out of this body and get on to eternity and be with the Lord. But God's not done with me yet here. So I guess I'll hang around. And here's his real deal. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, notice, of the grace of God. To Paul, not only was the ministry important, but the message was important. He took really seriously the fact that God had given him a job to do. Now, Again, I think sometimes our way in America is so we make a commitment, it gets inconvenient, and then we say, well, maybe I'm not going to do it. I made a commitment, but now it's sort of inconvenient, so I'm going to let that slide because i got other things to do. But Paul took his commissioning from the Lord very seriously. Whether you're commissioned to change diapers in the nursery or feed people, shut-ins in Fluvanna County, or whatever it is, if you feel like God has called you to do it, then do it and keep doing it until the Lord releases you from it or until you know he has. Because Paul said, that's my deal. I got this. It's like running a race. He compares it to being a, a runner. And it's not over. The race is not over till it's over. You signed up for the marathon. If you check out at mile 13, you didn't finish. You didn't finish. And Paul says, I refuse to come up short. And that's the kind of people I want to be in ministry with. And that's the kind of leadership I want in this church. And that's the kind of leadership we need in the church. I'm not stopping. God's given me a message, and the message is grace. Isn't that awesome? The message is not, you got to work harder. The message is not, you got to do better. You got to do more. I mean, Christians just get beat up all the time and feel like they're not doing enough. Or they're not doing it good enough. There's always these problems. And the church can be heavy-handed on people. And I'm thankful for the example that was set by my senior pastor, Pastor Chuck, who said to all of the young pastors, says, don't beat the sheep, feed the sheep. And that's essentially Paul's message here. The gospel of grace, that you can't do it, and God did it, so you could have everything God wants you to have, now and into eternity.
He did for you what you could never do for yourself, no matter how hard you tried. It cost him everything. And that's why I preach in the shadow of the cross. Because the cross is the only thing that means anything. So that I may finish my race with joy. To accomplish that, he said, I consider it a success. I crossed the finish line having done and held on to what God has given me to do to preach this message of grace. Verse 25, and indeed now I know that you all, these pastors, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And so as he speaks to this pastor's conference, this little group of guys, he says, look, guys, we're not going to see each other again. And here's my conscience, and I want it to be your conscience too, that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now he goes back to an Old Testament example. Maybe you're familiar with Ezekiel and the watchman on the wall. And in that day and age, they didn't have GPS. They didn't have, you know, radar and all that stuff. So now the watchmen on the wall are sitting somewhere in a government room watching radar systems and all that stuff. But then you had your walled city and you had all your people in your city and you had the people on the outskirts of the city that lived outside the wall. And that person would be up on the wall so they could see into the distance on all the corners of the city. And if they saw an advancing army coming, they would sound the alarm. And the people from the outskirts of the city would come running into the safety of the walls and they'd prepare to hold down the fort under attack. They prepare for the attack. And so the watchman had a really important job, right? To tell people, hey, danger is coming. Get ready. And that same example is here that Paul's drawing on. He says, I've been like that watchman. I've told people that danger is coming. Judgment is coming. And to be ready. Now, Ezekiel is told by God that as long as you do that, you're innocent. What you can't control is how people are responding or whether or not they do respond. Uh, talking first service, I was mentioning an example of a bridge in an earthquake. And then someone came up to me first service and gave me the example of a flood in an area that she was from. And the flood had washed out a bridge. And uh, the person who was sort of first there after the washout had then turned their car around and parked it and tried to tell people that are coming down the road, hey, the bridge is washed out. And someone came by as they were trying to wave people down. Stop, stop, the bridge is washed out. And this person came by, waved to them, and kept on driving. And said it took them six months to find the bodies. Because we understand that if you know something, if you know there's trouble, if you know there's danger, you have a responsibility to tell people. And that's what he's saying, I've discharged my responsibility. And I think Paul is trying to say to them, now, I'm not coming back, so you have to continue on so that you too, like me, can sleep at night. I love to sleep. I love to get a good night's sleep. Then when my conscience gnaws at me, I can't sleep. So I love to know that like, when I go to bed at night, I want to be able to say, God, I did what you told me to do today, to be able to sleep. And so Paul says, hey, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. And verse 27 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, definitely in the book of Acts. He says, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. How does Paul sleep at night? Because he lays down at night and he knows, I've told him, God, everything you want to tell him. I've given you the place to speak to that church, everything you've said. I haven't held back anything. I haven't added. I haven't subtracted. This has been, you know, from the time we started Calvary Chapel, this is a, a main verse for us. And I think you know that because we go through Genesis all the way to Revelation. Why? Because we believe the psalmist said, Psalm 119, 
the entirety of your word is truth. So I think people deserve to hear the entirety of God's word. Verse by verse and chapter by chapter, as difficult as that is sometimes, not all the verses are really easy to teach. I mean, we're in Deuteronomy now on Wednesday nights, and some of that stuff's like, okay, Lord, this is repeated, and some of it, how does this apply? And I have to sit down and re-encourage myself. Say, Lord, I made a commitment to you and to the people to declare to them the entirety of your word. And Paul would say to Timothy, Timothy, all scripture is God-inspired and profitable. Therefore, we go through all scripture. Because I don't want to be the one that decides what you need to know and what you don't need to know. That's not my job. Oh, I don't want to answer to God for that. I was in a church that the pastor years ago said, you know, we're never going to study the book of Leviticus. Pastor said that, never going to study the book of Leviticus. I'm like, did you check with God about that? I mean, it's sort of like not your book. And I don't think God wastes any words, do you? I don't think God said, yeah, you know, Leviticus, I really regret that one. I'm kind of sorry I put that in. No, matter of fact, J. Vernon McGee, well-known Bible uh, commentator, he said Leviticus might be the most important book in the whole Bible. The whole essence of blood sacrifice, the atonement of Jesus Christ, comes from the book of Leviticus. Jesus quotes Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Deuteronomy, love your neighbor as yourself. So who am I to decide what's most important and what's not? So we do that here. I think it's a good practice for you guys personally. Go through the entire Bible. And Paul, and I would say with me, I can lay down at night and say, man, it's just so great. I love going through the entire Bible because it takes all that's in the Bible for God to present himself in his entirety to you. And all of that summed up in Jesus, who is the word made flesh. Man, that's why I don't like, for me personally, I don't like teaching topically because it's so hard for me to decide what to teach on. You know, I said, God, we got a 1,188 chapters here. It's like a buffet. I mean, just take your pick. You're in the mood for fish or meat, you know? Ezekiel, John, take your pick. It's all good, right? And I don't want to be the one who decides what you don't need. So I declare to you, I've not shunned. I've not shrunk away from. Do you know that's happening in churches today? Again, please understand, I'm not knocking a church or pastor that teaches topically. Topical sermons are awesome. But the danger as a pastor is that I can pick and choose what's comfortable for me or what I particularly like preaching on, and I can leave out a whole bunch of other stuff unless I have a church that holds me accountable to teach the whole counsel of God's word. And that's what I appreciate about you guys is you've come to not just enjoy, but to expect the whole counsel of God's word. And so whether or not how long I sit behind this music stand or on this stool, only the Lord knows. But I'm telling you, never settle for less. Never settle for less. Maybe you move away from here. Always demand that you're in a church where they're giving you the whole counsel of God's word. Because in the absence, in ignorance, the wool can be pulled over your sheep eyes if people don't give you everything. Knowledge is power, right? And so when you know, now you have power. And to manipulate, to control, sometimes people in leadership will not let you know the whole truth. And that's what Paul's saying. My whole ministry has been completely above board. And if you ever, if you ever hear something or hear me say something and you're not sure about it, please come and ask me. We'll open the Bible together and we'll go through it. I ought to be able to point you to the Bible for why we do what we do or what I just said to you. All right. So 
I haven't shown to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. Therefore, wake up, watch, literally watch, take heed, watch yourself and the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There's this combination of elders, overseers, shepherds. In our day and age, people say, well, what's the difference between a pastor, a bishop, an elder? I mean, what's the difference? The biblical answer to that is nothing. It's all right here. There are three words that describe the same person or same group of people. They're overseers. And what they do is they shepherd. It's the word that means to feed. That's what he says to them. Here's the whole thing. He boils it down. He says, therefore, verse 28, watch yourselves and the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The word shepherd is the word for to feed. And it's a sheep reference. And that's what he tells them. He says, guys, shepherd the flock, take care of them, feed them, give them what's good for them. Don't hold anything back from them. Give it all to them. Isn't that what Jesus said to Peter? I mean, this is not new territory. Isn't that what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, Peter, do you love people? Then feed them. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, this is between me and you. It's between the pastor and the master. Look, it's true for you too. It's true for you too. What you do with people has everything to do with what you do with God. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? then feed my sheep. I do it for you because I love you, but even more, I do it for Jesus. He bought you with his blood. Now, I didn't pay my blood for you. You're not my sheep. I'm not free to do with you as I will, nor is any pastor. He's bought you with his blood. Do you know how much that means he cares about you and loves you? To pay his own blood, his own life, he exchanged his life for yours. And I think pastors then ought to consider that to say, hey, this is a big deal. Jesus loves these people and I need to give them his best and my best. Shepherd the flock of God of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. He purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Hey, this is why you have to pay attention. This is why you have to give them the whole counsel of God's word because wolves will come in and they'll twist. Look what it says. After my departure, not just your everyday friendly wolves, Savage wolves will come in among you. That's where they'll be. They're not going to be barking from the outside or howling from the outside. They're going to be right on the inside. They're among. And they're not going to spare the flock. They're not going to be compassionate. How do you recognize a wolf among the sheep? Well, the first thing is that they eat sheep. Sheep eat grass. Wolves eat sheep. It's pretty easy to tell the difference. And that's what Paul says is they're going to come in among you. They're savage wolves and they're going to hunt for the weak or the isolated. And if you aren't already isolated, they'll try to isolate you. And it's not for your good. It's to destroy you. And you'll scratch your head and go, why would people do that? Because evil is real and Satan is real. And his ministers disguise themselves as ministers of light to deceive. And so by holding back from you some of God's word, you're more easily deceived because you don't know. That's why we take seriously this whole thing, teaching the whole counsel of God's word. So some will come in, they're going to not spare the flock. Also, even worse, from among yourselves. He's speaking to the elders, to the pastors, some of you guys from among you will stand up speaking perverse things 
to draw away disciples after who? After themselves. They'll steal sheep, not from each other, but from Jesus. Ooh, that's what I say. We live in the days of the cult of personality, right? And every pastor is accountable to God for trying to make a name for himself. Look, I know me. I know me. And I know I'm subject to all these temptations and all these trials, just like you are. So I have to go out of my way to go the other direction to not draw any attention. It's not about Calvary Chapel. And you'll say, oh, Pastor Steve, I go to your church. And wait a second, hold the phone. I don't have a church. It's not my church. It's Jesus's church. And you're part of his church. That's why we don't have a membership. You're part of Jesus's church. It's good enough for me. You don't have to join anything I got going on. Please don't. You'll be disappointed. I got nothing going on. But if I can convince you to be a sheep in Jesus's flock, he's a great shepherd. Men will rise up speaking perverse things, twisted things. They'll distort to draw away disciples to themselves. So another way you know sheep versus wolves, a wolf will try to draw you away from the flock. Now be very careful with this because you will not recognize a wolf. The wolf doesn't come in and say, hey, by the way, I'm a wolf. You know, we're not going to have fellowship tonight at our house and the group sitting around and yeah, hi, I'm Steve and and I've been at Calvary Chapel for uh, the last two months and I'm a wolf in sheep's clothes. If you want to meet with me later, I'd be glad to eat you. But see, they're not going to advertise. So here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to come into the church and they're going to meet you. They're going to meet you at a Bible study. They're going to meet you at fellowship time. And they're going to start to talk to you. And you're going to start to develop a relationship with them. And they're going to offer to mentor you or disciple you. They're going to invite you over to their house. And here's what you're going to notice is they are not connected to the body. They refuse to be involved with Bible study or refuse to be involved in the life of the church or they refuse to go on women's retreats or men's retreats. Shepherds come in both sexes, by the way. And that's a bad sign. If they are not connected to the body of Christ and they're trying to disciple you as if they've got all the truth, they are a wolf. I will guarantee it. And they are going to ultimately lead you. Well, I don't go to those things and you should just come over here and have fellowship with me and our little group over here. Danger. Danger, danger. He says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. Again, he mentions with tears. Paul so cared for people. He wept over them. You can't build a straight house with twisted lumber. I don't know if you've ever been at Lowe's or Home Depot, and you'll see guys in there and they're siting the lumber, right? If you pull it off the rack, it's a two by six or a two by eight. It's going to be a floor joist and you pull a thing off the rack. I mean, it takes like an hour to find two good two-by-fours at Lowe's sometimes. They're all twisted and gnarly. and So you pull that thing off, and you're looking at it. You're citing it because you want to build something that's meaningful, and it's going to last. And so the wood has to be straight. Because if you get all twisted wood, what are you going to have? A twisted house. And so if you're hearing all twisted doctrine, don't read your Bible. Just listen to what I have to say then what kind of house are you going to end up with? It's going to be twisted. And then you're going to wonder why it won't stand up. Again, whole counsel of God's word. So Paul, for three years, I was warning you guys about this. Verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There's so much in this little speech. He says, guys, look, I got to go. And you got to keep ministering. 
there's people that need Jesus. And there's wolves that want to eat those people that need Jesus. And this spiritual battle goes on. And Paul writes four years later to the Ephesians about spiritual warfare, doesn't he? Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6. These things are in family life, how these things work out. He writes to them later on. And he says, I've got to commend you to God. And it's important to know what you can do and what you can't do. Mom and dad, you raise your kids up. You set a good example for them. You try to teach them the truth. You be a watchman. You warn them. You encourage them. You raise them. And then off they go to college and off they go out in the world and you just commend them to God. I can't fix them. I can't be helicopter mom and dad. Ultimately, it's between them and God. Amen? And so that's what Paul says. I can't be involved in your life all the time. I can't stay. I got to move on. I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Oh, Guys, don't forget grace, he would say. It's going to build you up, and it's going to give you an inheritance among all the others that are sanctified. Again, he goes back to his personal example, verse 33. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Speaking of inheritance, he said, mine ain't on this earth. He would say, guys, look, have you seen me being jealous about what other people have and what I don't have? Have you seen me being jealous about that people have better stuff than me or needing this thing or that thing? Have you ever seen me even talk or raise an eyebrow about material goods? I know there's some ministries that would need to hear that in our day and age, isn't there? Another sign of a wolf is that they use the flock for their own personal gain. And that's what Paul's warning them about. He said, there's going to be guys that come in. They're going to profess to be teachers. And one of the ways you'll know is they're going to be real concerned with materialism. They'll be real concerned about what they can get from the sheep. I'm so thankful for the testimony, the example that Pastor Chuck set for us as Calvary Chapel pastors, whether or not guys follow it or not. There was a day when um, he had a young guy, uh, they passed an offering plate back those days in Calvary Chapel out at Costa Mesa in California. And the young guy got up to uh, say the prayer and to give the offering plates out. And he said, now at this time, church, we're going to take up the offering. And Chuck Smith got up there and said, okay, wait, hold on a second. He said, I just got to let you guys know we are going to come and we're going to pass uh, the plates and receive the offering. We don't want to take anything from you. It was important enough for him to stop right there and make sure the right message was sent. We're not here to take from you. We're here to give to you and receive from you what you give willingly. That's the relationship between sheep and shepherd. The shepherd takes care of, nurtures, feeds, cares for the sheep. And the sheep then reciprocate and provide wool and milk and whatever else that they need, meat for their care. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's telling this to pastors. Paul said, I would gladly be spend and be spent for your souls. And there's a lot of pastors that live that out here in this county, guys that make very little and work really hard to care for the sheep. And so again, I hope you guys understand. I'm not saying this because somehow I feel gypped or cheated. I love what I do. I'm so thankful for the calling in my life. But it's a good reminder for all of us what Jesus said, not in the gospels. We don't know where this was recorded, but Paul records it as words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Every modern psychology article you will read 
will tell you that the key to happiness is not having more, it's giving more. So if you find yourself very unhappy, very unsatisfied, very discontent, the answer isn't that you need to get more. Maybe the answer is you need to give more, more of your time, more of your possessions, more of your money, just to give that stuff away because you've got an inheritance in heaven. More blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely. What a hanky session this was. Man, they were just bawling on the beach there in Miletus. They all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Paul was no cold saint. They loved each other. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. 